ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Adrian. Welcome back to another episode of the Luxembourg podcast. This week, I'm talking to Bob Knipe, chairman at Knipe Management SA. Most people know Bob as the founder of the fund data distribution firm that bears his name. Listeners will remember my past conversations with Enrique Sacal, CEO of Knipe, where we extensively discussed the latest evolution of the company. At the time of the recording, Bob was no longer involved in the company as he sold out his shares a week earlier to Deutsche Börse Group, a major global financial services player. In this episode, we dive into Bob Knipe's story on how he spotted an opportunity just when Luxembourg financial services industry was taking off. As we all know, Luxembourg is today a global financial center, especially in the investment fund industry. Initially, a paper-based ads publisher for the Luxembourg financial service industry in the early 90s, Knipe is a prime example and success story on how you need to pivot your business model over time to stay relevant. As you will hear in a moment, Bob walks me through the various challenges that he faced, this to embrace the rise of technology in the early 2000s, and how he narrowed down the focus of the company on what's become the bread and butter of the firm today, namely investment fund data distribution and any services that complement the existence of these collective investments. Finally, I couldn't resist asking more personal questions surrounding his journey as an entrepreneur and the lessons that he'd learned over time, especially in a rapidly changing environment like today's. But now, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Bob Knipe. Bob, welcome to Lux Unplugged. Yes, good morning, Adrian. Good morning to you. So before we kick off this conversation, we've got a very established tradition on the podcast. So before we dive into the your fascinating history or story of your firm, so for people who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Adrian, thank you for asking. It's a uh, question that I regularly ask myself. If I had to put it into few words, I would say basically I'm an entrepreneur. I like to create things, make them grow, see them grow, share with others, and was very fortunate early in my career to be able to start off other companies or new concepts, not only for Luxembourg, but abroad. My very first experience goes back to 87, where I launched uh, the Sodexo Pass activity in Luxembourg, which didn't exist in those days, was, uh, was fairly new. And I think there's nobody in Luxembourg that doesn't use these Sodexo Passes uh, as vouchers originally and now under the form of a uh, debit card. Uh, that was the first experience. Then I moved for Sodexo to Germany, helped develop or, or grow the business in Germany, in Austria, set up the foundations for new subsidiaries before I finally decided to uh, move to a German wooden garden shed producer and help them develop and become the number one producer and distributor of wooden garden sheds in Germany. Uh, attacked several markets abroad, namely Spain and France, uh, which was again a very interesting uh, business, but had nothing to do with the catering or uh, the luncheon voucher business. Then I joined the uh, uh, Havas group, uh, namely IP Luxembourg. And that's where I saw that particularly here in Luxembourg, in the financial sector, there were repetitive communication needs from banks, financial institutions, holding companies, and ultimately funds. 
So I had a deeper look into it, built a uh, business plan and wanted to propose to IP uh, to develop such a business under their stewardship. They said, guess what, we're focusing on RTL products and not at all on, on the uh, financial sector or more the classified ads business. And that's where I said, well, if they don't want to do it, then I will do it. And that was the, the origin or the foundation of Kneipp back in 1993. A more general question for you, as you said, you entrepreneur and, and so forth, but what made you actually realize that you had this entrepreneurship fiber before you actually went on all those ventures? As I told you earlier, I, I love to create stuff, uh, preferably something that wasn't there and that, uh, you know, changes either businesses or people's lives to, to, to make it better. That's what I did from the outset. And having created my own company came to some uh, as, a, as a very small surprise as I'm surrounded by serial entrepreneurs in my family. So my father started his business in 71 here in Luxembourg uh, to sell it uh, many years later. My uncle set up his business in New York. My aunt set up a separate business here in uh, Luxembourg as well. And they were all very successful. So I think basically I didn't have any choice. Family pressure is always good to, to succeed. But in, in other words, I'm, I'm quite interested because so, so you say that you come from a family of entrepreneurs. But if you had to summarize a common thread of success that has defined your family, how would you describe it? Okay, this might be a bit cheesy, but to make this world a better place, you see that there is a need uh, or there is a dysfunction uh, in our in our systems, in our infrastructure, in our businesses, and the the the, the desire, uh, the need uh, to make this uh, better for the users, for the populations, uh, for uh, the 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 ecosystems. I think that that was a common driver uh, for all. Moving on to the. The, the most recent news that, that came in, and most of our audience or most of our listeners will, will know it by now, your latest business, a Knipe, that you ran for nearly three uh, three decades, uh, you sold it to um, a major a major player in the financial service industry, so Deutsche Börse Group. First of all, well, congratulations on the sale. But my main question now is, how do you feel? I feel great. This is absolutely fantastic. And totally in line with uh, my vision, our vision, and where I believe that the, the business is supposed to go. There are many stakeholders within a business, and you want everybody to be happy. And I fundamentally believe that we have, uh, that we have succeeded in doing this. First of all, with our, our people, our teams, uh, they are welcome in a far larger family with multiple opportunity for them, career opportunities, personal opportunities, uh, then the, uh, our client base, which is one of the most important things that we have. They have now a group uh, that has the means, the vision, the determination uh, to make this world a safer place for investors and savers. Ultimately, uh, the, the buyer this is totally in line with, with their vision. And that's what makes me, uh, that's what thrills me so much is that they, they set out a plan, they communicated on this plan, and it just seems like the perfect fit. 
for me personally and for my family, I can see that the uh, Kneipp name has, has the future. If, if I had to take, make an analogy, it's a bit like your, your children. You want to give them everything uh, that they need in order to, uh, to grow, uh, to perform well, uh, to be proud, to be safe. And then one day they leave the house. Uh, you can't say it makes you happy, but it's the right thing to do. And it's what they should do in order to evolve and, and build their own lives. So as far as Kneipp is concerned, I am uh, over the moon. Uh, the uh, Deutsche Bus Group wants to keep the name. So Kneipp has a future. People have a future. Clients have the best perspectives ever. And it is totally the right thing for Deutsche Bus Group to do. Kneipp has been around for like I mentioned a minute ago, 30 years nearly, and uh, it's gone through various fluctuations throughout its, uh, its existence. I mean, one thing, one thing for sure is that whilst Kneipp was operating, as uh, our listeners know, the Luxembourg fund industry had grown a lot. So I guess the success had grown with it or in tandem with, the, with this trend. But going back to your business, so this is, I mean, this is now your final exit or the exit for you, but... You also had a multiple, or at least one transaction I know of, more than a decade ago, I believe, uh, where a private equity firm sold, uh, well, excuse me, bought some of your stakes to, to actually, I suppose, to fund one of your growth plans. And now, and, and you bought them back at some point. And then now you're setting out. But my understanding is that, so you were planning for this for a long time. What was the difference between the transaction that, that happened last week, let's say, and the one that happened more than a decade ago. What's, what was the thinking behind it? I think I'd like you uh, to take you back uh, a bit in history because our world has changed, so the environment has changed, and we had to adapt uh, to that ever-changing environment. Uh, if, I, if I look back at the company back in 93, or more specifically 94, it was about helping banks, financial institutions, holding companies, and uh, funds to better communicate with their customer base and with the regulators and the regulatory environment of the countries where their products would be distributed. What has fundamentally changed between then was, first of all, we were exclusively paper-linked. Fact sheets were only produced on paper. Uh, the only way you could communicate was through paper media. We were in a totally paper world. And it's only as of, I would say, 96, 7, 8, when the internet started to uh, show its, uh, its head, uh, where we had to think about restructuring and slightly go more digital and use uh, the technology to, again, better serve our customers. It, this went sort of in parallel with uh, the development of the Luxembourg Financial Centre for cross-border distribution of investment funds. Through discussions with clients by active listening, seeking inspiration uh, from uh, the, the active members in the market, traveling to their home cities, listening, that the, for me became obvious back in 96, 97, that we had to ex focus exclusively on the fund sector and not be uh, not dilute our attention uh, for even other areas within the financial industry. So back in 98, we became, that was a strategic decision I made, was to be 
exclusively oriented towards the investment fund industry and to best adapt the tools, the technology, uh, the business model, uh, and, and the value proposition that we uh, brought to market. Now, all went pretty well up to uh, 2006, where uh, it was compulsory for any fund uh, information or for any fund that would distribute in a uh, third-party uh, third country would have to communicate with their investor saver base. And all of a sudden, in 2006, it, it became from one country to the next no longer compulsory to publish in uh, paper media. We had made it between 98 and 2006 to be the largest publisher of fund data in the press worldwide. Our value proposition was the best. And I said, well, now it's about time that we think about moving to the next stage in evolution. And I thought in those days that it would be smart to do it with a big brother who has large shoulders and, and more particularly deep pockets. That's when we went out to uh, seek for a financial partner that could have help us within this endeavor. So, and this was a, uh, an action that was prepared well a year in advance, uh, uh, thoroughly uh, documented, and then which we pulled through. Ended up having uh, 3i in the UK as a 43% shareholder in the company and investing massive money into its development. This was a great experience, uh, loved it. And in those days, obviously, this is 15 years ago, I was still, uh, I, ha I had the intention to actively uh, go on uh, leading the, uh, defining the nature and leading the destiny of this company. So you were asking what has fundamentally changed between those days and today is that in those days, <laughs> this was and is my baby and I brought the right type of value, and I'm convinced that I brought the right type of value to the company in those days. I believe that the world has changed so fundamentally now. The gen there has been a generational change within our client organization, within our teams. And I believe it is now the, the, the best moment for a new generation to take over and define what the nature is and, and guide the destiny of this company. Also, Luxembourg has changed a lot. So you had a, a certain overview of things back then. So you had a vision when you launched, I mean, you briefly touched upon it in the introduction. But from the early days of the fund industry in Luxembourg, we know, I mean, the rest is history, but we know why Luxembourg turned out to become a, a leader in the fund administration business, so to speak. But starting from where you, you saw Luxembourg back then and, and how it's changed since, how has things evolved for you? How, do you? how would you kind of summarize the key milestones for Luxembourg? It is a massive evolution. If you looked at what the main drivers of the financial center were back in 1993, they were quite different to what it is today. Uh, it was mainly driven by private banking and uh, international corporate finance. Uh, Eurobond emissions uh, were still happening. And I actually had built the business with this in the back of my head. So funds were not... My prime uh, servicing investment funds was a service amongst other, but it wasn't my prime focus. And it's in only throughout the years that followed uh, that I decided to uh, solely focus on investment funds. So as, I, as I told you, 
uh, in up to 98. Uh, we would also publish and produce tombstone ads, uh, information memorandums uh, for bond issues, uh, account, op- account opening documentation for private banks, uh, the generation and production dissemination of annual report or other commercial documentation. Uh, remember, there was a life before PowerPoint. We would produce tens of thousands of slides or transparencies that would be needed for customer presentations, mainly in private banking, or for board meetings or annual meetings. This, this, was, this was massive in those days. Now imagine you start a business based on that, and then back in 96, and I remember 96 really well, you have uh, Microsoft who launches uh, PowerPoint, and you see all of a sudden 20 to 25% of your revenue going down the drain. Uh, that, that was one of the, uh, the massive changes. And then back in 98, uh, a customer told me, you know what, we have, you are publishing our ads in the press worldwide. You produce our fact sheets. You generate some of our, uh, the, the technical aspects, not the content. Uh, but the production and the dissemination of not only fact sheets, but uh, prospectuses, uh, annual semi-annual reports. So we, you, we can say that you know our fund range pretty well. Could you help us with the publication of NAVs in the press? And that's how it actually all started. And from the first client, uh, the first month back in 98, so March 98, followed the second, followed the third, and as I told you, to become the largest uh, editor or, or you know, disseminator of NAVs in the press uh, worldwide. 2006 came a bit as a shock because from this world that was mainly or nearly exclusively ruled by paper, we had to go electronic. And that's where we had to uh, uh, also uh, be far more detailed and focus on our strategy and determine what the areas where we where we wanted to be, and it was an additional confirmation that it was all about investment funds, starting from Luxembourg, but not exclusively. If you have your fund domiciled in Luxembourg, obviously it's, it can be distributed into over 40 or 50 different countries. And building up this expertise of uh, cross-border uh, fund distribution communication, because finally we are the uh, communicators uh, for for the uh, funds that are domiciled in Luxembourg. Well, obviously, they ask you at a given moment in time, well, if you look after our Luxembourg funds to be distributed in Germany, could you perhaps do it for our German funds being distributed in Germany or elsewhere, or our French funds, or our Irish funds, or UK uh, trusts, or OICs? And so the the company started uh, spreading and developing in multiple uh, in multiple directions, so not only from a fund domicile point of view, but a distribution country point of view or country of origin of the asset managers that we would work for. You mentioned earlier that with the introduction of PowerPoint by Microsoft, you had a, a significant drop in revenue in 98, excuse me, 96. And that seemed to be a bit of a challenge for the company, but you overcame it. But overall, if you think back throughout those three decades, what was the major or the biggest challenge that you were facing as the founder and CEO of the company? And what was your process to overcome it? We had, uh, there were market events, obviously, that hit us the same 
as any other service provider out there. Uh, remember 2008 or, uh, or the year 2000 and, and uh, the tech bubble, uh, 9-11. All of these things have uh, impacted us uh, indirectly. That's definitely one thing um, that we, as, as any other player, had to, uh, had to compose with. I think that the the toughest moment in the evolution of a a company is when you have to sort out what you want to focus on, because you can't be all things to all people in all times. At end of 97, early 98, uh, the air started to be rather thin, uh, meaning that the finances were tough and I had to uh, rethink the company in order to be extremely focused. That clearly that clearly helped. So I would say from a financial perspective, 97, 98 was sort of a key year uh, where we worked, I would say, our butts off every day from six in the morning to late evening hours. There were no Saturdays, no Sundays. This is what I believe. So hard work and focus uh, were the key drivers back in 97, 98. Once we had overcome that first hurdle and found this niche of publishing NAVs in the press, uh, it was a wonderful story until 2006. Then you had the big brother, 3i, joining in 2007, and we tried so many things, uh, investing uh, external growth, investing in new technologies, and so on. Uh, then 2008 came to hit not us and our markets, but uh, came to hit 3i who had to rethink their investment policies and in those uh, to bring them in 2009 to the conclusions that they solely wanted to focus on three, I would say, more historical areas of expertise that they had and decided to divest from anything out there. That's where they asked me in, oh, it must have been December, January 2000, so December 2009 or, or, December, or January 2010, asked me, do, would you know somebody who would be willing to buy our stake in Kneipe? That's why I said, well, let me think. Uh, and a week later, I called them to say, well, yes, actually, I have somebody, and here are the conditions, to which they immediately agreed, and we closed the deal in June of the same year. So after having been with us for three years and three months, I bought back the uh, the shares from uh, 3i to be an uh, absolute uh, 100% shareholder of the company in those days. The next, the, the largest risk for a company, any kind of company in any sector, is uh, to become complacent. If you make it to a certain level, a certain market share, well, sometimes you uh, run the risk of looking more after yourself than after one of the most important things you have, which is your client base. I thought that I had got it all made out in my head. Uh, digitization is uh, key. We want to be a, a fintech company. We want to provide to the market uh, a technological platform that empowers them to manage all of their fund data, uh, fund reporting, legal regulatory uh, reporting from a single uh, place. And that's what we did during two or three years, invested a lot of money and in, in order to ultimately find out 
that the customer base doesn't want a tech platform or a fintech company. They want service and they want the best service that is tech enabled or tech powered or even tech boosted. But they don't want uh, a fintech company or a technological uh, platform. Once we came to that uh, conclusion, and this with the help of Bug Delcourt, chairman of the company, and then Enrique Sacao, who was spot on uh, in, in confirming uh, this impression and to take the necessary steps to move back to, uh, to the former reason to be of uh, the company. He used to call it Kneip is back, and Kneip is definitely back uh, to, uh, make, to make clients happy and to make it safe for them to do business because they correctly communicate with their customer base and respect the legal and regulatory framework that they are supposed to function in. Now, after so many hurdles and successful rebounds, as you just mentioned, now my natural question to you would be then, now that all the pressure's gone, as we're talking the week after the announcement of the transactions or after the sellout to Deutsche Börse, what's the, so what's in the pipeline for Bob Kneipp? Is it uh, a long and well-deserved retirement or are you already thinking about the next adventure? My most difficult challenge is to stay put and do nothing. Uh, so yes, there are many, I have many ideas and have had many ideas uh, in the past that I would want to follow up on, uh, the, just not now. I want to give myself a three to six months period to uh, think through what these various options could be, should be, and ultimately come up with the things I would want to do. And when I think I, I, I could add value and not just run head over heels into an initiative right now uh, and most likely not doing it for the uh, right reasons, namely just doing something to keep busy rather than to do the right things and to do them right. I'm kind of collating all the things you've said to me until now. So you, you're saying that the entrepreneur needs to solve people's problems, right? So it's it's about just coming up with a concept that, uh, that brings a solution to the market. Uh, and then now your time of reflection. So broadly speaking as again, this Lux Unplugged uh, podcast is about Luxembourg and its business leaders. We like asking a very general question, but it's a very thought-provoking question because it's not, not always easy. Um, but if you were, in that sense, given the power to change anything in Luxembourg, what would you change? Yes, Adrien, what would I change in Luxembourg if I could? You have all the general themes that everybody comes up with, namely the difficulty of housing, uh, the too poor to live in Luxembourg, uh, the need for talent in, in various areas, environmental uh, challenges, school and, and, and school systems in Luxembourg. I would say a bit all of the above uh, to come to, to an essential point, I would see a change in mentality as a thing that I would want to uh, that I would want to promote, and this towards I would say two uh, mainly two areas. One is the uh, appetite uh, for risk and to try new things on one side, and on the other side, 
uh, change also our culture of failure. You're not allowed to fail. Once you failed in a given area, and I think this is one of the main differences between continental Europe, uh, the continental European culture and the US, is the culture of failure. Uh, you never learn more than from your bad experiences or, or even failures within your uh, professional, personal life. So if I had one thing that I would want to change is the culture of the risk culture and the culture of failure in Luxembourg. It's a very common theme indeed and that we've come across uh, in the past. So um, yeah, I, I agree on, on that point, uh, Bob. And a final question um, before we wrap up uh, after this very insightful conversation. It's, it's a, again, more general personal question uh, in that sense, but it's interesting to reflect upon it. If you had a chance to go back to your younger self, just before you started your career, what things that you didn't know back then and that you know today would you tell yourself? I'm a very lucky person. I was allowed to work for extremely talented and inspiring people that have put me many times back on track in the right way. If I had one thing to say, if you are with people that are well thought, have good intentions, they often tend to inspire you in the right way and show, show you the direction uh, that you should be taking. Uh, focus and hard work have been two elements of it. And if you want to achieve something, you first have to define what it is. And preferably not only in qualitative vague terms, uh, but in quantitative very precise terms. Fortunately, very, very early in my career, uh, I was brought to these uh, behaviors. Uh, so if I had to start it all over again, trust the right people, follow their stewardship, help them, Ask them to help you do the right things and, and to do it in an appropriate manner. Focus on the same values. On those very encouraging words, Bob, I would like to thank you for taking the time to speak to me today on the Luxembourg podcast. It's been a very enriching conversation, you know, looking back at your career and all the successes and, and, the, well, and the downs that you experienced. Now you've got the opportunity to take a, you know, take a step back, breathe and think about your next venture. So I definitely look forward to having you back on the show to discuss your, your next Knife Ventures. Looking forward to that. Thank you, Adrian. Thanks for listening to the Lux Unplugged podcast. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplugged.com. And see you next time. Yeah.